Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, and here with me today is Jessica Richards, the founder and owner of Shen Beauty. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me, Priya. Jessica, you know, I don't think a lot of people know this, especially because you're such uh, a beauty maven or known as a beauty maven here in New York, but you actually started in fashion, correct? I did. I started in fashion. That was my lifelong dream, how things change. (laughs) So tell me about that. Like, how did you start getting into fashion and what did you do? And then, of course, how did you transition? Well, I grew up in Southern California in Laguna Beach and going through high school, I worked at a store called Second Reef, which was a surf sort of fashion streetwear brand. And the owner of the store really loved my style. So he used to take me to all the trade shows to pick out the clothes for all the girls that we were selling to. And then I moved to Aspen in between high school and college before I moved to New York. And of course, I went back to my retail roots again. I got a a job at a shop called Polar Revolution. And at the time, it was a snowboard shop where you could come and rent boards and everything and buy snowboard clothes. But I convinced the owner to add in some streetwear when Miss 60 and Diesel were sort of the creme de la creme. And it ended up two years later turning into just a streetwear store and getting rid of all the snowboard stuff. So I moved to New York um, a year after that, and I went to FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology for fashion merchandising management and advertising marketing communications. And during that time, I did tons of internships, but I would say the real, my real first job in fashion was working under Lauren Davis, now Lauren Santa Domingo at Vogue as a front and back of book stylist. And I just really love putting clothing together. Never really been sort of a beauty guru at all. Um, but when I was at Vogue, I realized I was pregnant with my first son and I quit working because I felt like I didn't want to be a underpaid schlepper, but about four months, three, four months after I had my son, I was bored to tears as a single mom living in Brooklyn 13 years ago, you know, 12 years ago when no one lived here yet. And my nanny accidentally dropped my face cream out of the cabinet. You know, she was probably doing something for the baby. And everyone always asks, what was the product? It was Natura Bise face cream. It was the, I think it was the diamond one. And I just thought, oh, I'll walk up to Smith or Court and grab, you know, grab a new face cream. But what I didn't realize at the time was that I was always going into Manhattan to uh, to buy beauty products. And so there was nothing in the neighborhood. There was a Flight 001, which sold Mario Badescu, and then CVS. So I thought, okay, I'm just gonna open a beauty store, but I'm gonna bring in all the products from Europe that I keep buying on my travels that aren't sold here. And I grew up in Southern California with a mom who was a personal trainer and massage therapist. And so I would be the only one at school with the lunch of whole wheat, bread, turkey, and sprouts. And I would trade everyone for tater tots or something that was unhealthy. So I've really just grown up in this organic lifestyle. So that's how I sort of transitioned was really finding a passion and something in the beauty world and wanting to create a retail perspective for that and import the products. You know, what's so interesting about this, Jessica, is that, you know, you said it's about 13, 12 years ago. Before this, you know, I don't know if mainstream America, mainstream New York was certainly talking about, you know, organic 
natural, clean, you know, clean the word that we're all using these days. But um, I'm wondering, you know, was that intentional for you at the beginning that you were thinking, okay, I'm going to open this store, but I'm also going to have this, you know, take on organic and better for you products. It was a hundred percent the the mission and the proposition of Shannon from day one to import products that were not sold in the U.S. that my friends, family, everybody always wanted, and also to focus on and only sell organic and natural when natural actually sort of meant something that long ago. Um, now the term is clean and it's still undefined. So. When I first opened in 2010, it was exactly that. There was only products you couldn't find anywhere else and only organic and natural in under my terms. Obviously, that has since changed. And we are a retailer that focuses on organic and clean beauty, but we sell everything under the sun. And I call it stuff that works. Talk to me a little bit about that change, because I'm wondering at that time, you know, what other natural or organic or clean retailers existed? I mean, we're talking 2010 here. So Instagram was not even in existence, um, which really dates me. (laughs) And Emily Weiss from Into the Gloss um, and I were at a wedding and we were talking. She was just about to launch Into the Gloss and I was opening my store and we were talking about brands and I said, I'm bringing in only clean, you know, natural and organic products from around the world. And she's like, that's genius because all the people that I'm setting up all these interviews for, they're all talking about products that aren't even sold here. Um, But the real sort of shift came in realizing that not every woman shops organic, clean, natural, whatever you want to call it. Um, because not everything from that category mainly works for their skin. And, and our issue was, is that because it was so long ago and there were no other retailers in this space, certainly none, I would say my only competitor at the time was Whole Foods, right? Like, and that's not even a, a competitor of mine. Sephora, Ulta, they didn't want clean, organic, natural beauty, and certainly not what is now coined as indie or niche, you know, smaller brands, nor did Nordstrom's or, you know, any of these other retailers. They just wanted the mass marketed brands. And so what I realized was that people were coming into the store and they were having a really hard time grasping a cleanser that was $120 from a brand they'd never heard of because they were still focused on brand recognition and buying from marketing. I mean, magazines were huge still 11 years ago. Now, is there even a magazine in your house, right? So I called Bobby Brown. This was about a year and a half in and the business was struggling. And she's uh, a really good friend of my ex-mother-in-law's. And I said, look, you're not sold anywhere in Brooklyn. And Brooklyn is a new and thriving neighborhood for people that are exiting Manhattan, all with families. I really would love to talk to you about bringing your products in. I don't want any of your holiday or your skincare or any of that. I just want your core launches, your lipsticks, your shimmer bricks, you know, things that people really know and use and all have, Um, especially the eye gel pot. Um, So she said yes. And it took about six months for them to figure out how to service my account because I'm so small and I wasn't taking all their holiday launch units. But once we brought in Bobby Brown and that was like about year two, What I realized was that it made people more confident and okay with shopping brands that they had never heard of before. And that they also wanted 
the heavy payoff of the pigments that mainly come from non-clean beauty brands. And so that was sort of the catalyst for me in realizing that people want organic, natural, clean, whatever you call it, but they really want results. And, and so that's really what changed it. Now I'm so grateful because so many women, you know, they, they don't want to be shamed. They're starting to feel shame. That's a word I hear a lot. Um, by all these companies that have come along, clean beauty retailers about don't use this ingredient, it'll do this to you. Whereas really, the person should know what it is, but be allowed to still shop that and make the decision for themselves. Tell me when you were thinking about, you know, the brand recognition piece with the newness piece, like, how difficult was that? Because I imagine, you know, Getting Bobby was a very big stamp of approval. I'm sure many other brands wanted to come into the fold at that point. But, you know, at that time, I would argue that, you know, color cosmetics was very far behind in the clean, organic, natural movement where, and we weren't in the skincare movement we're in now, you know, where everybody is, you know, putting on 15 products or are willing to try 15 products. I mean, yeah, I think that the, you know, having Bobby really solidified the store. Um, and there were not any clean beauty companies out then. I would say Becca would have probably been the closest if it's even clean. And the only reason why I say that is because it was out of Australia and they have more stringent laws, right? But I, I think that you know it's it's been a it's been an interesting take on the business, just understanding how people shop and how they feel about products. And, you know, I launched Ilia Cosmetics on six lipsticks, six of each shade on consignment, and they sold out in a week. And so that sort of made me realize like, oh, we do need clean color cosmetics. And Shen has always been so focused on skin care, skin health, because I personally do not wear a lot of makeup. And I believe that if you have good skin, you don't need a lot of makeup. And so that's sort of your base for that. Um, but now I think there's so many clean, organic, natural, whatever you call it, skincare brands. It's really hard to weed through the noise. And for the customers, I think really um, showcasing those brands, the word curating, I think is overused um, and not relevant anymore. But I think really showcasing those products and giving the, the consumer the understanding of what it will do to their skin and how it will help them is, is really, you know, an, an interesting thing to see a woman feel better about themselves after buying products. Tell me about your customer, because obviously you, at the beginning, you were thinking about, you know, this Brooklyn mob, this new neighborhood that was burgeoning, um, you know, the Manhattan flight, I guess, if you will. But now, I mean, like I said, I think people really turn to Shen Beauty and to you as the expert. If it's Shen Beauty approved, it can be also at XYZ other retailers. So who is your woman? I mean, God, my woman. Uh, my woman is me. Um, I would say she is, I always describe her. I've taken this word from the food industry and moved it into beauty, but flexitarian. Um, she is the woman who goes to Whole Foods and spends $600 on all organic groceries for her family. But then she goes and gets a latte, you know, from Starbucks or where, wherever you have, that's not organic milk, right? 
So there's your automatic. She goes out to dinner. That food on the table is probably not organic if you're at most restaurants. Um, but she still goes out to dinner with her friends. She likes to have a cocktail. She likes her fancy workout class. She likes a little bit of Botox and is not afraid to say it because it makes her feel good about herself. She is, you know, a woman who's very aware, likes new things and travels a lot and reads and is, you know, inquisitive about what's going to work for her and what's not. I would say she's a, a worldly woman. Um, and it's, it's interesting because when I first opened the store, none of those people were in Brooklyn yet. And so we had a lot of Manhattan people taking their cars, you know, to Brooklyn to come shop us because we didn't have a big online presence. And now I would say our customer, even on, on our e-commerce platform is very similar to our in-store customers. I mean, we get questions all the time about skincare health. And so I think our woman is just somebody who wants to, is really into beauty, wants to find new things but also wants that SkinCeutical CE Ferulic to mix in because they know it works, right? Tell me about that because, you know, I love this idea of the flexitarian because right now I think we're in this moment where there's a lot of fear mongering and there's a lot of like threat or no-no lists in terms of like, don't th use this, use that because this parabens are terrible for you or sulfates are terrible for you. And it seems like you're allowing a little bit of, space that most people aren't. Yeah, I think it's important to let the consumer make the choice, not make the choice for them. And we sell all of the above. We have hair care products with no sulfates. We have hair care products with sulfates. You know, it's at the end of the day, I believe, and I think most women would feel this way, is that you should feel good. About, if you feel good about yourself and the way you look, you automatically feel better inside. And I know that can sound superficial, but it's not. I mean, I feel so much better after I get my hair dyed, right? Like it's such a simple thing. Or I get a little Botox in my forehead. I feel, oh my God, I look youthful and alive again. So I, I think most women feel that. And I think that, you know, even to your point of this shaming, think about all the stuff going around currently about sun care. And is SPF worth it? And don't wear sun care. It's worse for you than the sun. We all know that's not true. So, you know, but again, there's people who believe that and they're going strong in on that. So I think it's really embracing who you are and being able to shop toxic, organic, clean, and defining your own sets of rules and what's right for you. I don't think a lot of people know this, Jessica, but you know, you still own and operate your store. You haven't taken investment in the last 11 years and beauty has exploded during this time. Everybody is like putting out press releases about how much VC funding or private equity money they have. And I'm wondering like, what was that decision about? Like, why haven't you, you know, taken on a partner or expanded into every single market that's cool right now, like Austin or Nashville or LA? That's a good question. So when I first opened, I did have a business partner, but it didn't work out because we had very similar skill sets and she was a mom of two and traveling back and forth all the time. So was not available. So I quickly bought her out about a year, a year in, um, year and a half in. Uh, and then I was going to take on investment by a company, but the person who was handling the investment, this was about five years ago, 
maybe a little longer than that, uh, ended up opening a chain retailer that is now my competitor. Um, I was young, I was naive and didn't really understand what was going on. So that did happen. And then uh, two years ago, I was about to take on a partner, investor partner, and I couldn't go through with a contract that would, that wasn't fair, let's say. So it's not that I haven't tried. It's that I want, I'm looking for somebody who brings true skill set that is separate from my own and really understands Jen. And to the point of why have I not opened anywhere cool like Nashville or Austin, it's because I don't really care about being cool. I don't look at trends ever. I just keep my nose to the ground. I very rarely look at other people's sites or what press they're getting because I find that the first time I do that is swaying it from my own business and my own path. Um, not to say that I'm a little bit disheartened that all these people have come in and really blown themselves up and I'm happy for them, but I still know that I can launch newness and have exclusivity in brands and, and that it, I am a relevant retailer. Um, and I, I don't want to open in a Soho or a Nashville or an Austin just to open another store. I like to be where women who truly are into beauty and have disposable income and want to understand and take care of their skin are. And Brooklyn is that. And there are two other locations that are that. It's just about finding the, the right actual brick and mortar spaces. And you're still bullish on brick and mortar, even after this last year. I'm more bullish than ever. Tell me a little bit about the competition on a larger scale, because you know now Sephora has Clean at Sephora. Target has their own take. Ulta has their own take. But when you look at their assortments, many of their brands are brands that you may have carried first. So how do you kind of juggle that when you know these bigger retailers who are almost in a game against themselves are also taking away this piece of the pie? Yeah, it's a challenge. I would be lying if I said otherwise. I mean, I think that, look, I was in a meeting with one of the retailers that you mentioned about two and a, two, two and a half years ago, one of the large mass retailers you mentioned. And they had just created their, their green you know, assortment. And I said, well, what are your parameters for that? And they listed three ingredients that were not allowed to be in the product. And I said, you do realize that that's all marketing then because you're saying paraben, sulfates and something else. I forget what the other ingredient is. And I said, and there's a blacklist that you could go in on or at least list on your site so customers can be aware if it's a endocrine disruptor or what have you. And then they can make the choice based on that. And so that retailer has now since come out and put more stringent guidelines on their, their, green, their green footprint. But... I think that solidifying exclusives is an incredible challenge right now for me. And, you know, when I did open, there was no Instagram. So I used to dig through blogs and travel in all these little stores. Times have changed. A brand launches on Instagram and it has a million followers in 10 days. And, it, you know, you can't keep up with that. As well, I don't have the opportunity to do such a large investment or buy like a Sephora and Ulta and Nordstrom's, even a Credo, because of the amount of physical doors that they have. 
But I move more inventory out of my one door than many of those retailers do in multiple doors by brand. Um, And I think that what I know and what I hear is that publicists and any consultants, they always say you need to launch at Shen because if you launch at Shen, every retailer will take you. So I, you know, negotiate exclusivity contracts, which are not that easy, but I still do it. Well, nowadays, it's almost like that's gone out the window. It seems like you hear brands have an exclusive with the retailer for a month or, you know, an online exclusive and then an in-store exclusive. It seems like the re- the brands themselves actually are really reticent to do that. So how are you kind of coaxing them or saying, you know, this is the right move for you? Like, what do you, what's your take on brand partnerships? I mean, they are incredibly reticent to, to take on exclusivity. Um, and you're right. They're, they keep going to, you know, we'll give you the online exclusive or the New York exclusive, right? And I'm like, Mm-mm, that's not how this works. Exclusive is exclusive other than your own website, right? Or your own brick and mortar store. So I think that for me, what I've found is what I do really well is find newness from around the world, not just the US, and harness those brands and really tell their story. So I become their sort of voice for launching in the U.S. to a very specific targeted group of people that are beauty, you know, advocates on TikTok, on Instagram. You know, they're a little bit old. They skew a little bit older. So their word of mouth is a lot more um, reliable, I would say, people have said, because they're buying all the anti-aging products, right, Um, and have more skin conditions from aging. So they need more skincare, but exclusivity is one of the hardest things nowadays when every single brand, when I launched was exclusive. Uh, although, you know, we just launched a new brand IDEO exclusive until the end of the year. And last month we launched four brands exclusive through the end of the year. So, um, the other ones were Mahoney, which was a Manuka, a true Manuka, and which I've been looking for for years and haven't been able to find. Mark's Lip, which is a beautiful lipstick brand out of um, Australia. Uh, Decree, which is an incredible skincare brand out of the UK. And then we launched um, Joaquina Botanica, but only for a month and a half, to your point of the exclusivity agreement, because uh, she had other retailers lined up and is New York based so knows a lot of people. Tell me a little bit about the international piece. Like what percentage of your assortment is from, you know, Australia, the UK, because I do think that the beauty industry in the US is very US centric. You know, I mean, I think sometimes we totally forget that, you know, China and India are these huge markets. So I think that that newness probably is really exciting for the customer. Yeah, I mean, they they love it, right? And it's not something, I almost feel like people come to me, they're kind of the people who, how do I say this? They're the people who started wearing Zara with Celine, right? And and so they're the people who don't necessarily, they want to find the newness and mix and match. They're not just going for the Chanel bag with matching shoes. They're really the people who are inquisitive and smart and, and really discerning with their purchases. Um, but I would say that in the beginning, it was 100% international brands. Now it's probably definitely over 50%, but not exclusive. 
And I would say it's mainly Europe, Australia, and New Zealand. Other well, and Europe, obviously Germany, because I have so many German brands now. Um, but not really so many not American brands because I don't like a largely distributed vendor. What was it like being an independent owner this last year? Because obviously, you know the bulk of, you know, Shen is the real life experience. And, and I'm wondering what it was like. In one word, hell. Um, (laughs) I came off of a four year uh, big job that I was doing to come back to my own business and rebrand it with mythology and launch open a much larger store. The new store is three times the size of the old store and three times the price. And it has four treatment rooms as opposed to one. And the, you know, it has mirrors everywhere. It really truly is an experience. And we were supposed to open the doors in April of last year. And we didn't open until September. I have no investment. I'm a single mom of two. And it was a real, real struggle, especially for a person who really thrives on a retail experience and connecting with consumers in a real way to be focused solely on digital that I don't love while laying off all my employees because otherwise the business wouldn't survive and packing web orders myself and homeschooling two kids and a construction site at a standstill uh, and just sort of taking it moment by moment. I wouldn't even say it was day by day. It was moment by moment. And we pulled it off, but it was between figuring out banks and PPP and EIDL and trying to make sure that my team, which is my family, is safe and taken care of. And I'm making sure my kids graduate their year of school um, and get a store open. It was really, really, really hard. I didn't think I would make it. Really? I think people would be surprised to hear that. I, yeah, I think they would. But I just, I was at a point where I'd come back to my own business and I've done so many other jobs and built so many other people's assortments for them that I thought, maybe I should just be doing that and give this up. And what am I doing? It's just, I don't know if I can make it. And then the question was, and when I do get it open, what's going to happen? Are people going to shop in retail again? And then the much larger question, which came was, how are we going to test your beauty? Because beauty is the most sensorial thing you can do. And how the heck am I going to figure that part out? And so, you know, I did it all. And I may, I would say, is the, the real month where I saw that our business is going to level out and it's going to continue the growth that we've had over the last few years. Because up until the vaccine rollout really started happening, people were still very hesitant to come in for services or to buy anything. What's your take now? You know, we're talking about the Delta variant, like almost daily, the CDC changed restrictions again. But then at the same time, you know, I think you're totally right. Retail is back. People do want to go in the store. People do want to touch and feel. So how are you kind of maybe safeguarding yourself for whatever happens next? 
I, at this moment in time, I would say I'm just doing the best I can. We never took down our mask wearing policy in store, nor did we take away our hand sanitizing policy to be able to shop in the store. And for testers, we created a way to tester and I'm not going to get rid of it because I've always found that beauty testers are really disgusting. And so this is a very clean way to keep it. Um, sanitary, actually. Uh, we installed an incredibly expensive hospital-grade air purification system because we were mid-construction, so could. Um, we have, you know, everyone's still required to get tested every two weeks, even if they have gotten vaccinated, because we are closer in, in to people's faces. Um, but I would say that People want to shop. They want to see people. They want to go out. They want to touch things. They want to feel things. They literally just want to buy something because they haven't been able to except for on, you know, online. And they're just, they're dying to get out and experience retail. You mentioned a, a minute ago that, you know, there are two other locations that you have your eye on, but I'm wondering, like, is that coming soon? Is that something that you're hoping to do or open stores in uh, within the next year? Or is it really about focusing on, you know, the Brooklyn store and e-commerce? So the Brooklyn store is humming and moving and great. We have a great team in place. We have a new retail and spa director. You know, we have a whole team that is great. It needs very little of my attention currently. We are undergoing a full site rebuild, which will launch next year. Um, we have the kickoff call next week. And I'm also launching a brand next year. If I can get one of these locations, I would open it next year also. But I've been sitting waiting for these two locations for the last sort of four years. So while I was in California, I actually went to a meeting with the person um, and I'm in talks with the person at the other location. It's just if the space becomes available because I have my heart set on those two specific locations and I won't go anywhere else. And I'm sure, Jessica, you can't tell us too much about this, but, you know, in terms of starting your own brand, like obviously you're a founder through and through, but what do you think the beauty market really needs right now in terms of launching something brand new in this super saturated and super competitive market? Well, I think there's a lot that can be done. I would not launch skincare because I sell a million skincare brands and I'm not Gwyneth Paltrow. So that just doesn't make sense. Um, I think that there's a lot missing in the clean fragrance world. I think Heretic has done a fantastic job. I have a brand launching in September that's clean and is fantastic. And I love it. It's beautifully packaged and everything. I think there's a lot to be done in the clean sun care section, uh, clean and effective sun care section. Uh, obviously, color cosmetics need to be revamped. Um, you know, Mob Beauty, I feel like, has done an incredible job. And then body care is, an, is another area where I see a huge white space. So it's one of those. Well, you have a lot to be excited about this next year, don't you? A lot of work and a lot to hopefully be excited about. <laughs> I mean, I've launched brands for other people and gone in as consultants, but 
launching my own, I actually brought in a friend of mine and I was like, I need you to tear my ideas apart because I am too close to this. And she's like, that's what you do for other people. And I said, yes, but I need it done for me now. So tear this apart. (laughs) So is it really different for you launching a product line from a retail line? I've launched product lines before. So, uh, no, it's not. Um, but I would say because this is my own, um, and just given the fact that all these companies, how they spend so much money in marketing and influencer seeding, and it's not something that I do, it's definitely a learning curve for me and one in which I have to feel if it's right for Shen and for the product range. Last question for you, Jessica. I'm wondering, you know, there's been so much consolidation happening. I think because of COVID and in spite of COVID, you know, Ulta going into Target, Sephora going to Kohl's, Goop and Full Lane, you know, there's just so much crossover. What do you think about that? And where do you think that might lead you? I think that it it leaves me in a place to get more creative and be more creative and engage with my consumers on a more one-to-one basis. Um, As far as Ulta and all, you know, Credo and all of those people merging, it's bound to happen and they need, obviously they all need help and assistance. So they're partnering up, right? The lane into Goop is different because that's not a physical brick and mortar in Goop. That's just her product on Goop. And I would assume that they would take those products. Um, And good for her for, you know, getting her name out there more. I think Tara's done a great job. So, but I, I don't, it, none of it bothers me. I literally could care less because I know what Shen is. I know who our consumer is. I know who we are. And as long as I execute that voice in the right way, we will be okay. The best compliment I ever got was recently, and I wish I could give credit to this person, but I don't remember who said it. And they said, you're like Colette was. And I was like, oh my God, I love you so much. This is the best compliment. Right? Incredible compliment. Yes. And I thought, you know what? If I can go on for another 10 years and do 20 years like Janet Bird did or Colette did, then I'll be grateful. Um, You know, I have talked to Jen from Bird and I talked to Sarah Colette and I talked to Dawn from Omri's, which is another retailer in California that's very similar to mine and, and Colette's fashion. And everyone's having the same issue, right? Because of e-com and because of digital marketing and Instagram and social media, you can buy anything online now. So it doesn't make it special in your store. So you, that's my job, right? To find things that are special and bring them to market and show people newness and create an environment for them to come and feel comfortable and explore. So as long as I keep doing my job, then I have no issue with all these people merging. It just makes me look better. I mean, I don't want to shop in a mass vendor. I only go there for a replan item. So, and I think most women feel that way. They want the exploratory niche. And especially now after COVID and all these big businesses, I think people are even more apt to help small businesses. Thank you so much, Jessica. It was so great having you. Thank you, Priya. It was so nice being on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. 
Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Tune in next week for another episode. And if you know someone or more than one who should be listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, please have them subscribe. See you next week. Thank you.